First Chronicles chapter 16, and I want to read verses 23 through 28. Here we are. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Go to verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David, David pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. When David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Verse 7. Then on that day... David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. So we want to teach about David's missionary song. I don't know if you've ever thought about a song being evangelistic. A song having a missionary purpose can, sometimes should, these are songs we ought to sing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, for a few moments as we unburden our heart of what we have been reading here in the scriptures, we pray, Lord, that you would transform all of our hearts and lives as we think about this. Think about David's praise. Think about his evangelism through his music. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I guess if I were to take a poll or a show of hands, and I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask you how many of you like good music, I'm sure every hand would go up. But then if I pressed it a little further and I asked you to define what the word good means in that little sentence, good music, I think that's where the diversity of opinion would come into play. Because what you may think is good music, somebody else may not particularly enjoy. Someone's voice that you are enthralled by, somebody else might listen to it and think that the voice is not so pretty at all. But rather than focusing on the different kinds of music that we have all across this planet, let's just focus Specifically on those kinds of songs that glorify God, that lift up the name of Jesus. Those songs whose lyrics and language and music is composed for one purpose, to manifest the knowledge of God in the earth. David was a man that, even though he was a king, we know that from his youth he was a minstrel or musician. He was somebody who learned to play with his hands. I don't know what, how many instruments he could play, but I'm sure he could play several. I wish that when I was a child, I had learned how to play the piano. At one point in my life, I could sit down and 
plunk out three or four different songs on the piano, but I certainly could never play like some people can play. Elementary school, they were kind enough to offer music classes. I played the clarinet, <clears throat> fairly good at it, enjoyed it a lot. Next year, fifth grade, they put me in a class where they had the tuba. I think I lasted about a month or so. The teacher thought it'd be a lot better for everybody else if I didn't have one. So they took that away from me. But have you ever seen somebody that just seems like any instrument they touch, they can play? I've seen people like that. Gifted, talented. They can chord on the piano or keyboard. They can pick up a guitar, play it with no problem at all. Put a bass in their hand, it's not a problem. Put a flute in their hand, give them an oboe or some kind of a other instrument. They can sit there and play it. There's no difficulty at all. And, and I think David was anointed in many ways like this. This man, according to 1 Samuel chapter 16, he played so well that when the king, whose name was Saul, when he was under this bout of depression, when this, this spirit came upon him that brought such depression and confusion, they called for David and David played with his hand. The Bible says that evil spirit departed from him and Saul's spirit was refreshed. So that tells me then, that, that music can be anointed, music can be touched by God in the sense that you can have a very bad day and the clouds of despair may seem to be looming quite low in your life, but music can push it away. It can change the spiritual atmosphere of your car, your home, your life. Even though David was a good composer of songs and he could write and he could play I think the primary thing that was important for his life was his character I wish every musician would prepare themselves spiritually as David prepared himself so that God could say of each musician here's a woman here's a man that's after my own heart but who takes the time to really plow a, a, a deep enough furrow into which God can plant some seeds that will produce fruitfulness in our lives. Most of us don't think like that. When you think of music, you think of something that, that, that touches your emotion, something that causes your foot to start tapping a little bit. But how often have you thought about the kind of music that has curative effect, that could heal? I was sitting at a table with someone a few weeks ago down at convention, and they were talking to me about uh, the, the song service in the church being so anointed that somebody had come out, out of a wheelchair. Think about that. Music is a powerful tool when it's in the hands of somebody that really loves God. And what God is able to do through a song and a voice is quite distinct from what he can do through someone with a song and a voice who does not know God. So here's the background of this story. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of the Lord. It was built during the time of Moses, and wherever the tabernacle went, they erected that, that tabernacle and put that Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle. It represented the presence of God. Whenever the children of Israel were going to battle or being led, they needed the Ark because the Ark represented the presence of God. You needed that Ark to have the cloud of glory rest upon that tent, the tabernacle. So important was it that God ensured that it was handled by a specific family, that just anybody couldn't walk up to it and touch it. But this ark had 
had been, I don't want to say misplaced, but it certainly had been out of place for a period of time. And when David became king, it was on his heart to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So he said to the people, let's go and get the ark. We're going to bring it back. I put a tent up and we want it to be right here where I am because I love God. My heart is for God and I want God's ark here. So they went when the people were walking and no doubt singing and praising the Lord. They got to a place where somebody might have accidentally stumbled. But whatever it was, that cart that they were carrying that, that ark on, it, it looked like it was about to fall. And a man reached up and tried to stabilize it. And when he did, the scripture says he died. David was displeased that the man died. And then the scripture says that David, somewhat fearful about moving it. So they left it at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. For three months, that man's house was blessed because of the presence of God there, which was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if his house was blessed for three months, how blessed would your home and your life be if you have the presence of God with you all the time? Think of it. Scripture says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you crave the presence of God and you want the presence of God in your life, you can expect blessing. I think that's what comes with church services. I would much rather be in a service where I believe the presence of God is gathered with two or three people gathered in the name of the Lord than to just be anywhere where someone is gathering in Jesus' name. That means I want to be with people that love God. That's where the presence of the Lord is going to be. Well, David said to the people, he said, look, uh, Obed's house is being blessed. The ark is there, but it needs to be here. We need to go get it. Levites, get yourself ready. So everybody went down to the house. They did everything according to the proper form, according to the proper formula. God was quite happy. And when they were bringing it into the city, the scripture teaches at towards the end of chapter 15 of verse, uh, first Chronicles that David was out there, started taking off parts of his clothing. He had on a linen garment or something, and he's dancing and praising the Lord as the ark is going in and everybody's shouting and rejoicing. Because God doesn't have a problem with exuberance. And God's not nervous when people lift their hands or raise their voices or people begin to dance and shout in his presence. God has never commanded the children of Israel to worship him in such a way that the service is a cold, staid funeral dirge. God has always enjoyed happiness, cheerfulness when it comes to his worship. David was out there praising the Lord and leaping, as the scripture says, and dancing. And his wife was up in the palace. She looked down there and saw her husband, the king, dancing in the streets. And the scripture says she despised him in her heart. And when he came upstairs, and finally sat down. She said, I saw you down there dancing in front of all those women, making a fool of yourself. And David said, if you thought I was dancing, making a fool of myself today, you wait till you see me get out there and shout tomorrow. Scripture says that his wife <clears throat> was unable to have children from that day forward because of that whole situation. This man knew that in his praise of God, he should not allow anybody to change him. Now, praise is a, it can be a cultural thing. Everybody does it differently. Some people are loud, some people are quiet, some people have a temperament that's noisier than others. I tend to preach louder than the average preacher. I might take off and run. 
I might stand up on a pew or a chair while I'm preaching. It doesn't make me a difference at all. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excitable when it comes to the things of God. I, I'm just that way. I just feel like if you put enough water pressure in the water hose, the thing's going to flop around a little bit. And sometimes this stuff gets to moving around in you, and it's kind of it's hard to keep from shaking a leg or an arm or something like that. You know, you get, get excited for God. Well, in the church in which I was raised, Church of God in Christ, it was a what we would call a holiness church. They were somewhat strict, but, but they believed in praising, praising God. The, the music was always upbeat. So that means we, we sang fast songs. You, you sang slow songs when you wanted everybody to, to, to cool down and you wanted the sweat to dry off. But, but any, any, other, any other time, all of the music was designed to be fast, and I mean, everybody in there would jump up and start shouting and praising God, and it would always start like this. They'd say, who has a testimony this morning? And then there'd be some lady stand up and just say, I, I, I praise the Lord, this was a blessed week. I mean, the devil had me on the run. He said, I thank the Lord I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, got a mind to run on. Didn't kill my husband this week, but I'm going on with God. And I, mean, and I mean, pretty soon, there'd be somebody else to stand up, and they'll say, I'd like to sing a song for the Lord. Before you know it, they start singing a fast song. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Yes, I'm a soldier in the army. And then all of us would be out there just dancing and shouting and praising God and having a good time. Hundreds of people making all that noise, just like popcorn in a pot, you know. Just Everybody's just bouncing and moving around. Well, that is how I was raised. I thought everybody worshipped God like that. I did. And then I started traveling. And I went to, to uh, Okinawa, Japan, and I remember the first time I went to a service where it was interracial. And we had all of these different people, because Church of God in Christ primary, primarily African-American. We got into this church where it was, it was interracial, and they said, we're going to start the praise and worship service. And I looked up there, there's a man with a drum set, and he's got all these shields around him so that the noise won't be so loud. There's a guitar player, there's a bass player, you got a piano player, got an organ player. I know we're going to have a time in here. And so as soon as they said, we're going to start the worship service, I jumped up, and I'm ready to go. And they start singing, majesty, worship. What is wrong with these people? What is this slow stuff? Then I quickly learned that worship and praise is a cultural thing, but what's most important is a person's heart when they're praising God. David wanted that ark in the tent. And he brought it in. Now this causes us to think of several things. How did he receive the ark of God? Scripture said he received it with joy. With joy. If you want the presence of God, be happy about the presence of God. The fact that God lives on the inside of you. But then if you also look at 1 Chronicles 15.25, you'll notice that it says David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands. That's the leadership. The leadership was involved with the worship and the praise of God. You know, some of the worst worshipers in a church are leaders, pastors, preachers, people like that. You say, how can that be? I've sat through a lot of conferences where ministers taught on praise and worship, and they're teaching on stuff they don't even do. 
You watch them during the service. They, they, they just kind of wander. You know, praise and worship is going on, and very often the pastor is just kind of standing down there. He's on his telephone texting somebody, or he's talking to somebody, telling a, telling a little aides to go get this. I mean, people are worshiping. People are crying. Good stuff is taking place. They're not even paying attention. And then somebody nods and lets him know this is the last song. Then he comes up, she comes up, and they get up there in front of the people. They say, come on, everybody, give a big shout to the Lord. And then a roar goes up, and then they're fixing all of their papers as they're getting ready. The leaders should be people who exemplify the praise and worship they encourage other people. If I say to you we're going to worship God, it's because I want to be part of the worship. I want to participate. Because a minister cannot take people anywhere he himself is not willing to go. And if the minister is not exuberant, the minister is not enthusiastic, if the minister is not encouraged by the Lord, do you think he's going to be able to transfer that encouragement and that enthusiasm to the people? No. no. They'll pick up on what comes from him sometimes. Levites were the priesthood under the Old Testament. They were involved with the worship of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5. Listen to it. All of you also are lively stones built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you really are excited about the fact that God has brought you out of darkness into light, out of sin, into righteousness, out of your mouth should come praises. Nobody should have to prime the pump to get you to want to praise God. When you come through the doors of the church, you should be ready. Your cup should be overflowing, ready to praise and worship God. But very often that is not the case. Nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact. You may have had a difficult week. You may have had a difficult evening. But you always have a reason to praise God. In fact, if someone ever says to you while you're sitting in the service, is there anybody like to testify or does anybody have a report of praise that they want to get? Everybody ought to be fighting to say something. If you really believe God's been good to you and he's kept you and preserved you, what should happen on Sundays when pastors ask, is there, is there anybody who wants to testify? He should have to say after a while, okay, we're going to have to close this down now because we do need to go on with the rest of the service. That's how it should be. But if you don't consider what God has done for you to be great enough to tell other people and to tell it again and again and again and again, you won't tell it. You say, well, what if, what if people get tired of hearing the same testimony that I give? Well, let them get tired of hearing it. God doesn't get tired of you telling it. God wants to hear you testify in the midst of the congregation. I praise the Lord that I woke up this morning. I'm still in my right mind. Got my health, came in here on my own, two legs, two feet. God's been good to me. Praise God. That's all I've got to say, Pastor. Somebody else. Praise the Lord. I'm happy. I was asking God a year ago just to bless me with a vehicle. I've got one now. I praise the Lord. I'm riding and I'll give God all the glory for what he's done for me. Praise the Lord. I've got food in my covers. I've got a roof over my head. I praise the Lord. I look out over my fields, and the fields look good. The car engine is still working. up. No, no, no problem at all. I praise God, and that's exactly how you should be. And I'm in different churches, and they say, anybody want to testify? 
today. Up I go. Praise the Lord, everybody. Even though I'm the guest preacher, I want you to know, I thank God he got me here safely, and I'm expecting us to have a good service tonight. And you do that, people just look at you like, where in the world did he come from? But at least they know what they're going to get when I get in the pulpit, though. Yeah. Notice in this Psalm of David, look at verse number 7. Then on that day, David delivered this first psalm to thank the Lord. Now this song represents the words that are on David's heart. Verse 8, give thanks unto the Lord. Remember that, that old song, give thanks with a grateful heart? Give thanks to the Holy One? Well, that, that's a song of gratefulness. Praise God for what God has, has done for you. David is saying here, in these words, he's, he's describing his love for God. Look at these verbs. Verse 8, give thanks. Verse 9, sing unto him. Sing songs. Talk of his wondrous works. Verse 10, glory in his holy name. Verse 11, seek the Lord. Seek his face. Verse 12, remember his marvelous works. This song reflects David's love for God. <clears throat> Do you love God like that? That you want to talk about him. Remember the things that he has done and sing about these things. That's what David is saying here. But then also the words of this psalm represent his knowledge of God. Notice what he says in verse Number 14, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Be mindful always of his, what's the next word? Covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac. This man understood the history of the nation of Israel and God's activity in Israel, and he wanted to sing about that. So worship songs should project the knowledge of God and our love for God. Now, there's a reason there are certain kinds of songs that I do enjoy, and there are certain kinds of songs I don't enjoy as much. The kinds of songs I enjoy are songs that talk about the package of redemption and what the Lord has provided for us. The songs I don't enjoy as much are the songs that talk about me. If, if I go to church and I'm involved with worship service, I want to sing songs that remind me that I'm inspired to worship him or they're telling me what he's doing because the songs teach the knowledge of God. If, if all I'm doing is singing about me, I, I didn't die on the cross for you. You didn't die on the cross for me. But to have a song that puts God first and foremost that is what is exciting to me. And that's why David is able to say in this particular psalm, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. It means everything. And David's trying to bring his people into this same love and into this same knowledge. And that's what a good worship leader and a good pastor and good leaders and musicians want to do. They want to bring people into the presence of God and into the knowledge of God. So that when people leave, they know more than they knew before. Now, I know there are songs that we can sing in worship that are really 
exciting and they, they put stomping and, and, and all of that. And that's fine because I like those too. See, I like to clap and all of that and, and, and praise the Lord. But at, at the end of the day, what I'm interested in is glorifying him. That's the key. Glorifying him. And they should be sung by people who are redeemed as though they're happy that they've been redeemed. It's hard to do worship with people who say they know God but act like they don't know God. It's discouraging. You, you, you walk into a church with a whole lot of people, everybody in there is supposed to know the king, and then you start singing. You, and, and you do like I do sometimes when I'm traveling and I've got to preach. I'll turn and face the congregation just to look at who I'm going to be preaching to. I want to see how they worship God. You'd be surprised what you see out there. Everyone is not interested in God. Some people are in church because their mom and dad compelled them to come. Spouse made them come. Dragged by a friend. Some are there because they really love him. The ones that really love him are the ones that are going to enter in and find that the blessing of God is going to be upon them and the presence of God will be real to them. Now let's look at something else that David said beginning with verse 23 that I think is very important in talking about his missionary song and his evangelistic praise. Notice verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth. As David is composing this song, he's thinking of the nations. Verse 24, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. David wants all non-Jews and people who have no covenant with God to come to a knowledge of who this great God is and what he has done. David doesn't want his music confined to the nation of Israel. He wants it to go to Egypt, throughout Africa, into the Far East. He wants it to go up into Europe. He wants everybody to know about the greatness of this God. That's worship. That's what it is. And look at what he says in, in verse number 25. He goes so far as to say, great is the Lord. He's to be feared. Verse 26, the gods of the people are idle. So this man is magnifying God. Notice how big God is in his song. That is how God should be in your song. Now you don't have to just sing psalms out of the Bible. Paul said to the church in Colossae that you should sing psalms and spiritual songs. Make up some songs on your own. Words, sentences don't have to rhyme. Just praise God on your own and give glory to him for what he's done in your life. The blessings that he's brought into your life. That is what pleases him. That out of a pure heart, he's being approached by one of his children. He listens. Oh, he said, my kids are talking to me. again. That's what God is after. He wants someone to talk to him out of the purity of their heart. And, and, and David here in verse number 26, he says, the gods of all the people are idols. You know what he's saying? He's saying this is no politically correct song here. He's not worried about offending the people of the different nations. He wants them to know their gods are not real. They're myths, they're legends, they're idols. So for me, when I sing a song, if, if I can stand next to a Jewish man that doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, 
and I can have a Muslim man on this side, and we all sing the same song, and we can sing it and be in agreement, there's something wrong. Something wrong. And this is one of the problems I have with a lot of what we call our messianic songs. So many of those songs are so generic and ambiguous, and they mention God, but they don't want to mention Jesus lest they offend Folks, when we come to church, this is, this is not the place to be politically correct. This is the place to worship God out of the purity of our heart without fear and compromise and worship him in spirit and in truth as he wants to be worshipped. So that comes a, a variety of different ways. And I go back to what I said when I stated that worship is cultural. You don't have to be as loud as me, but you do have to be as passionate. You, you don't have to be as active as, as, as your neighbor in, in their movements, in their song services, in their worship, but you should be animated about what you believe. You ever get animated about things on your job? A few, few weeks ago when we did that crusade down in Plainville, I had a gentleman come up to me, he, he wanted prayer, and he said, now, Pastor, he said, I, I, I've got a problem. And he said, I work with cattle every day, so you can imagine what my problem is. He said, i got an anger problem. <clears throat> he said, them things make me mad all the time. Well, if, if, if that big animal can cause you to become so animated, how come God can't get us to become animated about truth and about him living inside of us? If... if if, did I ever tell you about the time I went to that, that great, uh, great game where the, the Buckeyes were playing the Huskers and the Buckeyes crushed the Huskers in the first half? However, there's a second half. And so during that first half, I was right on the 50-yard line, and I, I wore all my Buckeye stuff and everything like that, and, 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 and I mean, the Buckeyes were just really giving the Huskers all kind of fits and problems. And I mean, I was up yelling and screaming and I was making all kinds of noise and it was all quiet around me. And I'm looking at these, hey, the Buckeyes, and nobody's saying anything. And, and then uh, that, that, that second half, that young man, Mr. Burkhead, he woke up. And, and then he decided he just wanted to start carrying Buckeyes up and down the field because they were tackling him. And, and so now I'm sitting there and... And all of the people are up, and they're yelling and screaming to me. And even the elderly people are throwing their hats at me now. And everybody's clapping and screaming. And they're just having a good time. It was all in good fun. Nobody was trying to be mean, you know. But I think about how animated we get over sports. I've seen moms want to come out of the bleachers when a little kid pins their child and does it in a harsh way. But yet when it comes to God and we think of Scripture, and suddenly... <clears throat> you got to be quiet and still. I mean, that's fine, but I mean, what's, what, what's wrong with a little passion? How are kids and how are other people going to know how to worship God if somebody doesn't teach them how to enter in? How to enter in. This man, David, understood that. And David didn't mind praising the Lord, but in the psalm that he wrote, 
He says the gods of the people are idols, and he was not worried about what they would say. The objective of the song, you can see it in verse 31, he wanted to be able to say, Let the heavens be glad, the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations, The Lord reigns. That's the objective of every song. People can know that God is the one who's absolutely in charge. Well, how do we apply all of this to us, to the Christians, because we don't live in the Old Testament? Well... David wrote a lot of psalms. We've got 150 of them that are recorded there. And he wrote the bulk of those. But the scripture tells us now that Jesus is the son of David. And Revelation tells us in chapter 5 that Jesus is the root of David. And Revelation tells us in chapter 3, Jesus has the key of David. He's the lamb that was worthy, counted worthy. Take the book out of the father's hand. Worship taking place all around heaven. Scripture talks about a time where we're all going to be with the Lord and there'll be a new song written. There are a lot of beautiful gospel songs. We sing a lot of them. When we're in the car, we listen to a lot of them. But I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, there's going to be songs given to us that no man could ever compose. Think about your home when you play gospel music, how it transforms the atmosphere. There's a peace. I mean, Tiff and I, we get in the car and we're on these long drives sometimes and we'll put in a little gospel music. And I'm sure people that are driving past us on the highway or people that see us in, in town somewhere, they wonder what in the world's going on in that car over there. Because, I mean, we're praising the Lord. Hands are up and we're glorifying the King and praising Him. And oh my, I'm sure people are wondering what's going on. One night we were driving to Texas and we left here, was driving all night. To get to Texas, somewhere about 3, 3.34 in the morning, I can't remember, we were listening to some music that just really had us going. We were praising the Lord, shouting in the car, bouncing all over the place without even knowing it. Drove right off the exit and just kept right on praising the Lord, went right through the stop sign, came right back up the other side of the exit, got back on the highway and just kept praising God as we were going. I'm telling you, this thing is good. There's a place in worship where you really, really sense the presence of God. And and some people, they cry because they start thinking about how good God has been. Other people, they smile and they laugh because they just think about how good the Lord has been. Because the words are what grab you, listening to that. So you have to ask yourself, how, how well do you worship God? Is it real? Is it genuine? Are you like David? You want your worship to be acceptable to God? And then what, what do your gospel music preferences say about you and your worship? Do you even listen to gospel music? I've met a lot of people who say they love God. They spend more time listening to R&B, country, you know, rock and roll. But if this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I want the presence of God, I want him to dwell here, then I ought to play those things that can edify me spiritually. Yeah. Why not, why not find the presence of God in songs that lift up the name of Jesus? Because he said, whoever calls upon that name, they'll be saved, delivered, rescued. Something powerful about that name. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Let's stand.
Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, when we think about how wonderful you've been to each of us, we can't help but tell you thank you. We're here tonight. We're in our right minds. We're able to see. We're able to hear. We're going to place our heads on a pillow tonight, and we're going to sleep soundly knowing that the word says that you give your beloved sleep. God, we want to go deeper in our individual and personal relationship with you. We want it to be real. We want it to be transformative. Father, give each one of us, Lord, some good gospel music that ministers to our hearts. Lord, help us to see the different directions in which we can go with the different kinds of music that are available that glorifies your name. God, let your presence be in our homes. Let your presence be in our vehicles. Father, let your presence be in every service that we have. We're going to be careful to love you and praise you forever and ever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Isn't God a good God? Folks, every-